Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is another Aftershock of Monday episode, and today we have a creator returning. Uh, it's been a while. She's been on uh, a few times before to talk about some uh, Aftershock titles. She just finished one we're going to talk about. She's got another one that kind of just started we're going to talk about. We'll talk about some of her other work, too. So it's my pleasure to welcome back to the show for the first time as Dr. Stephanie <laughs> Phillips. Stephanie, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, congrats. I, you know, I told you I was going to do that. Such a, an accomplishment to earn your uh, your PhD. So, <laughs> yeah, it, was, it, it took a while. So I'm, I'm pretty happy to be done and have that part kind of behind me. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and joining us uh, as well, a little kind of fly on the wall is uh, my cohort Rocky, uh, who also is a is a big fan. Uh, and in fact, uh, this last year on our Comic Source Awards. Uh, gave you his uh, pick for uh, best brightest talent of the year. So uh, <laughs> that's right, I did. Well deserved. Well, thank you. I yes. Appreciate it. Yeah, very much, very much so. So yeah, we're gonna we'll start off talking about some some aftershock books, and then uh, I know Rocky's gonna uh, want to talk a little bit about Harley Quinn. He's a big uh, Harley fan. But awesome. Uh, let's start with with Red Atlantis, the uh, the aftershock title that you just finished up, uh, and this was kind of a, an interesting project in that it wasn't your original story idea, uh, but you kind of, uh, you know, took that idea and, and scripted it and turned it into comic book form. Um, so can you uh, give our listeners, if they're not familiar with it, a, an idea of what the, the story was all about and uh, tell yeah. us how you got involved with the project? Yeah. Uh, Aftershock kind of reached out to me to see if I'd be interested. And I mean, it took like one sentence to sell me on it. They were like, do you want to work with a former spy from Russia? And I was like, I don't even like on, I don't even know on what, but yes. Like, <laughs> I mean, if we're doing some kind of cool covert mission or writing a comic book, I wasn't even sure. I was just like, yeah, man, um, that sounds really cool. Um, so I, I was pretty sold on the collaborative element. You know, I really wanted to write a story that like, there's some cool supernatural elements, but a lot of it is based very heavily in kind of some mythology from like the Cold War era, like some of these mind control experiments that I think uh, I'm trying, I'm blanking on the name of it, but there's some movies and things like that about kind of uh, Russian or even US trying to figure out this mind control element or CIA experiments and things like that. So yeah, wasn't there was, the, the men who work with goats with yes, George Clooney? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew it had goats George in the Clooney, title. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw that in theaters, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'm very interested in the theory behind it. I mean, even some of those CIA experiments have colored um, what I've done on Harley Quinn. So it's something and it's an era of history that I've always been really interested in. So it was kind of all a lot of good things, I think, combining plus the, you know, I love collaborative working. And um, that was a really cool element of kind of taking something that Jan, um, the creator of this kind of had in mind. And, um, you know, he had a lot of really big broad strokes, things he wanted to see happen. And uh, my job was to kind of help give them shape and turn them into this comic book format. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, you know, I think we were shaping a really cool world. And um, I know there's a lot more story to it, a lot more that Jan wants to do with the story. So, you know, I hope we're able to do that one day as well. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, obviously you met with Jan early on when you got ready to, to figure out, okay, how are we going to plan this thing out for the, for the five issues? Um, right. So was it just that first initial uh, or when you were actually scripting the issues, was there back and forth? Was he involved with story beats and, and how it all played out as well? 
Um, so I would kind of go off onto my island and write the scripts and then kind of come back with the scripts and, and get with Jan to go over things. So he would read everything as I was kind of finishing it up. Uh, or, you know, sometimes while I was working on it too, I would want to include elements of um, like, I think it's maybe issue three or four. I have two former Russian operatives talking to each other. And a lot of that dialogue was scripted with Jan's help, um, just kind of uh, particularly the parts where they're speaking in Russian. Obviously, I, I used him for that, but, uh, you know, also just like, what would they be talking about? This kind of military service background, espionage background, here's how they would greet each other and, and things like that. So, um, and in combat as well, was really fun to kind of talk to him about. Uh, I love choreographing fight scenes. And I think as soon as Jan found that out, you know, at, at some point he called me up and he's like, do you want to get on Skype? And my wife and I can like demo awesome, like, Russian moves like fight moves I was like yes I do <laughs> that sounds ideal so um you know I, I think there were a lot of collaborative elements uh but one of the cool things about Jan too is you know I think he trusted me a lot to say I know you know how to uh kind of put together a comic book so go do your thing and then we'll kind of talk about it and add in cool stuff that you know obviously I couldn't add because I don't have that experience but uh, yeah, it was it was a really cool way to write a comic book that I've never done before and maybe never will again. I know we have um, like pull quotes from people in the CIA. And I was like, I think that's the first time or maybe the last time I will ever get pull quotes from like former espionage service agents or something like that's really cool. <laughs> well, as long as I know that. Going I, I I was just going to make a comment. Artemis and the Assassin, uh, which was my first exposure to your work. I know that uh, you, you you delved into history there. And I find it very interesting that you say that you love the 1950s. You have a Ph.D. in rhetoric and composition. You got a master's in English. I think I, I would think you got almost a master's in history. You're clearly a student <laughs> of history when you look at your work. I look at the setting of nuclear family. Your Wonder Woman work uh, was uh, sort of set on a dream sequence. It looked like it was the 1950s. Uh, I'm 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 just really curious that um, the uh, is is that a is that an area that that you 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 love focusing on because it really seems to be that uh, you must be a student of history. I, my undergrad degree, uh, I, w I was a history major. Um, I was a double major, history and English. But I mean, I think a lot of that comes from my dad. Uh, my dad is a book collector and just like an avid historian on his own he just knows like uh it's funny when I write a story my first go-to is to go to my dad for reference like I was writing something um where I needed reference for the hundred years war and it was um I was at their house at the time my dad just has his own library I mean he's a book collector and and I was just like do you happen to have anything on the hundred years war and like I was looking for a very specific battle and all of a sudden he comes up to the room with like five books and he's like well there's this one that's like this and he just starts explaining like I mean the house is sectioned off into like there's a section of there's one whole shelf of just world war two he loves the napoleonic war era the best so he's got like 80 books all titled Waterloo. So um, it's, it's something I've always loved and um, someone that I'm still in contact with today, my, my oddly enough eighth grade history teacher who really like instilled a love for it because he was so creative. Um, I mean, he would come to class dressed as a Civil War soldier and that's how we would learn the Civil War it was like really kind of interactive and theatrical way of discussing history. And I just, I always thought that was so cool. Like history, 
um, can influence some of these stories, whether, like you said, it's Wonder Woman, Red Atlantis. Uh, uh, there's a bit of it in Harley Quinn, though I think it's a bit harder to pick out, but it's just something that like fascinated me that I kind of blended into Hugo Strange's uh, kind of mythology and lore. Um, so, I mean, it influences a lot of what I do. Uh, thankfully, they've now announced I've written a couple of Green Arrow stories, um, Roy Harper story and a Green Arrow story. And I love the history of archery, which when people saw me post that Green Arrow is my favorite uh, figure in the DCU, they were like, really? I was like, yeah, I've been obsessed with him since I was like four because he's got a bow and arrow and the history of archery is so cool to me. And, uh, you know, one of my friends just texted me the word nerd and I was like, yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I, I love it. I like getting to blend it into really unusual places. Well, what's to, to bring it back to Red Atlantis for a second, what's so so interesting is the fact that so many creators we talk about, okay, what are you inspired by? And they're pulling from other uh, works of fiction and, and you know, maybe you even do it subconsciously. We always talk about as a creator, you have to keep your batteries recharged by consuming other media, other stories, not because you're going to copy them or homage them, but you just need to be in, you know inspired, even if it's on an unconscious level. Uh, so we look at something like Red Atlantis or Nuclear Family. You're pulling from different eras. One's the Cold, you know, War sort of toward the end. One's the Cold War right at the beginning. Uh, but you're also you are pulling from from uh, other things that you've consumed uh, in terms of of pop culture or fiction. You blend that so well. I don't know that anybody else can say. I'm sure there's other comic creators out there who are big history buffs. Um, but I don't. I haven't met one that's to your level. Are you? Are you conscious of that? Are you aware of that? That you do. You're inspired by real history as well as you're blending other things that you've enjoyed. You know, like Green Arrow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think in in Red Atlantis too, you're seeing a lot of like I I love the spy genre. I love James Bonds. Uh, I mean, I I think some of the first that I saw, you know, the Daniel. Craig era. Um, but, you know, I've gone back and I just, I really love those stories and I like playing with them and I like doing weird things with the genre. And, you know, I don't know that it's always going to work, but my interest is with the background in history, trying to maybe push or do something new and unique by blending different genres as well. Um, you know, anytime I get a chance to do spy, I, I really like it. So that's fun to play with. Um, I like Westerns. So even when it's not a typical Western setting, uh, sometimes if you read my scripts, there's a lot of uh, references that I will give an artist from Westerns. Um, I really like different shots in Western films. Uh, some of them are pretty typical, like, you know, people in doorways or seeing somebody through somebody's legs or those kinds of things. Like, I just think those are really cool. <laughs> so getting to kind of bring those in, even if I'm not writing a Western or writing a spy book, uh, I think having all those kind of pop culture references help as well. And trying to blend them and uh, trying not to do 50 million things in one issue, which, uh, you know, I get a little intense and excited. So we got to rein that in sometimes. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I would love you to do I my dream project for you. I would love you to, to uh, approach Dynamite to approach you to write some of the a James Bond story for okay. him. And <laughs> uh, I'd love to see a series of DC bombshells. I think you're basically made to at least do at least do a six issue series for DC bombshells. DC, if you're listening. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I, I would agree yeah. with that, DC, uh, especially. Uh, one of the things about Red, Red Atlantis, I, and I don't know if you specifically, you know, pulled from this, but in the middle there, when um, 
when they're on the run. I really did get a Terminator vibe. You know, here we are yeah. with this guy who's, you know, defending this girl who, while not helpless, she really doesn't understand the extent of her powers uh, at that point. Was that something you were you were conscious of after you wrote it that, hey, I, I did kind of pull this or maybe you pulled from it uh, specifically? Yeah, yeah I, I Terminator the franchise is actually one of my favorite movie franchises. Uh, oddly enough, I just really like anything Arnold Schwarzenegger is in. Like, I, I don't know why anything that he's in seems to be this weird backbone of my childhood, but I love Terminator. And I really like the format of somebody being thrown into a situation that they just have no knowledge of. Um, it's, it's always been interesting to me, almost like taking a fish out of water trope times a million. Um, there's this old Kafka story called The Trial where it's about some guy waking up and he's on trial, but he has no idea what for. I mean, the more well-known uh, Kafka story is obviously somebody waking up as a bug and just having no idea why they're a bug. And it's like <laughs> both of those are this interesting idea that you've thrown a character and the reader into a story with no idea of why we're here. Um, so Wonder Woman, there's a little bit in, in that too when I started with just like, she's a 1950s housewife. She doesn't know why, we don't know why, we're gonna kind of figure it out together as we go. Um, and I, I like those kinds of stories a lot because I think there's a bit more engagement from the reader as well to kind of try to follow along and figure it out as we're going. And uh, as a reader, that's the kind of thing that I like to consume and it's pretty fun to write as well. Yeah, I think you uh, you succeeded really well. So uh, I, I wanna talk about a nuclear family now, but, but one other thing about uh, Red Atlantis and working with Jan, uh, you you mentioned earlier about him and his wife demonstrating fight scenes for you and how excited you got. What was the, his reaction when he found out you were a uh, Muay Thai fighter? Like, <laughs> like this is who's writing my comic? He must have been thrilled. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, you still see the limits, though, of like, I'm trained to fight in a way to get maximum amount, amount of points in a ring. Like, you know, obviously, if I can knock somebody out, that's great. But it's also a point-based game. And for Jan, it's survival. Right. <laughs> so there's, like, <laughs> there's like this interesting, uh, I think it's in issue one, there's a fight scene that I, I wrote. And he was like, uh, you know, this person is, is going to be thinking about the playing field in a very different way. So it was about changing my mindset. And I think that discussion with Jan changed my mindset when writing almost any fight scene moving forward, which is like, what is the per person achieving out of the fight scene? Like, obviously we want it to look cool. I love writing fight scenes, but I've almost since having that discussion with Jan thought about how a fight style can be really specific to a character's personality. Like Harley Quinn in issue two is taking somebody out with like a foam finger and a feather boa and she's doing it very gracefully and it's cool, but you know, that's very different from the way Black Canary is going to fight. She's trained in a very structured, um, same with Ted Grant and writing Wildcat. Uh, you know, there was a very like getting to bring in my boxing and Muay Thai background there and that's never going to go away, but it's also just adding in cool elements of like, how can you make Harley have a cool fight scene with something around her surroundings and kind of also the same with with Red Atlantis like the character wants to survive so you know maybe they need to distract somebody in a way that I haven't thought about and um yeah it, it was really cool getting to do that and kind of expand my my notion of how to choreograph fight scenes in comics yeah and shout out to uh, your artist on the book too Robert Carey who did a, an exceptional job Robert's awesome yeah. Uh, well, let's move on to uh, to Nuclear Family. So that's the current uh, series that you have coming out from Aftershock. We just had uh, the second issue uh, come out. 
uh, very different. And, and much like you were just talking about being dropped in the, the middle of the story, we're still not 100% sure what's going on. The first issue introduces us to this sort of, to borrow that term, this nuclear family, you know, where it's a, a, a father, a mother, and, uh, you know, two young children, a girl and a boy, very much that 50s vibe, very much the aesthetic, that sort of plastic look, everything was new and shiny, plastics were a, a new thing, uh, an incredible art by uh, Tony Chastine, is that how you pronounce yep. his name? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the second issue, you know, and the first issue ends with this cliffhanger of, of bombs being dropped, air raid sirens going mm -hmm. off, and then in the second issue, we're thrown for a loop, and apparently it's it's happened uh everything that we feared you know nuclear war destruction that sort of thing so uh what can you tell us about a nuclear family in terms of uh you conceiving of it as an idea and what is it that you're trying to explore yeah so it was based initially on a philip k dick short story called breakfast at twilight and breakfast at twilight is it's pretty short it kind of uh it ends essentially with like the bombs falling and kind of this meeting of like, there's a potential for this nuclear fallout to happen, um, really building on some kind of fears of that time period. Um, for us, we kind of took this and developed an entire world behind it. So instead of just saying they went to an alternate future, um, they are ac we're actually developing what that alternate future would look like. Um, and I, I'm really interested in kind of that fear of the time uh, of the 50s and the possibility of nuclear fallout. And I feel like we're living in kind of similar fear times um, of this, like we don't really know what's happening tomorrow and it keeps kind of changing. So I really thought it was a cool, timely thing to go back and build off of the fear of the 50s and try to make some kind of connections to modern day while also building something really cool for Tony to obviously just draw the crap out of because it looks amazing. And uh, JD Mettler on colors as well, just making a really gorgeous book. Um, so there's a lot of Twilight Zone influence in it, a lot of Philip K. Dick influence, obviously. Um, it's weird and hopefully very character driven. So the characters are just as confused as the readers are at points. Um, but, you know, I, I promise we're building to something. So. <laughs> well, the other thing that's so interesting about it, and I'm sure Rocky feels the same way, you know, we, we were around in the, the 70s and 80s when it, it still was that fear. I can remember, you know, laying in bed at night, like nine, 10 years old and worrying if the bombs were coming. And then with the fall of the USSR, that sort of went away and we didn't worry about it so much. And now, like you said, it's it's sort of come back uh, a little bit. Russia's, you know, a threat. We're worried about China. Um, and when I'm reading this book, I'm getting those feelings of of dread. Uh, how about you, Rocky? Are you are, is that something that you're sensing as well? Oh, oh, definitely. And a compliment on nuclear family is is that it's very much character driven and it's the whole family i particularly like this issue too where the whole family is making inquiries and they're they're all confused and it, it's it feels very real and i have to say honestly i'm i'm glad jay's asked you the question about where is it going because as a compliment i have no idea where issue 3 is going to go i don't know what's going to happen so you definitely have got cuz it can go in virtually any direction i have no i you know you know we there's more revealed by the end of issue 2 i don't certainly don't want to spoil it for anybody but it's definitely wet my appetite and i i got to tell you between uh this uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, you, you're right on par there with Jeff Johns Geiger there in terms of a, a nuclear future there. So awesome. again, high yeah. compliments. 
Yeah, and, I love what and, Jeff, John, Jeff Johns is doing <laughs> on that. It's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing that I was happy to see, you know, you went from Red Atlantis at Aftershock right into Nuclear Family at Aftershock. Mm -hmm. You seem to have a really good uh, relationship with uh, everybody over there, Mike uh, and Joe mm -hmm. and Lee. Um, so th this is exactly where you uh, feel like you should be uh, telling these stories like uh, Red Atlantis and, and, uh, and Nuclear Family. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I like working with them a lot. And, um, you know, Red Atlantis, they, they brought to me and Nuclear Family was uh, really a collaboration. They, they liked Breakfast at Twilight and, uh, you know, that as the, the kind of starting point for the concept and then building building out a whole world around that story that hopefully is a bit reminiscent of Philip K. Dick, um, reminiscent of the time period. Uh, again, a lot of Twilight Zone in there, especially like developing the neighborhood and the setting. Some of it, the references I was giving Tony are just screen caps from Twilight Zone episodes because we really wanted the reader uh, to, to feel that, to feel that weird, um, I'm trying, I'm blanking on the Twilight Zone episode name, but there's the one where uh, they really capitalize on the fear of like your neighbor. Could your neighbor be a communist? And uh, like, I mean, in Twilight Zone, it's very hyperbolic, but you know, there's like a weird shot where the neighbors look at each other, like maybe this guy over here is a communist. Like you don't know this like weird red threat. And uh, it's interesting that that kind of carried from Red Atlantis to nuclear family in very different ways. So um, I'm, I'm not sure where the Russian thing came from, but uh, we're in that, so <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned Tony, uh, he's just the perfect artist. Cause like I said, he captures that, that aesthetic, uh, that, that shininess of uh, the fifties. So was he somebody that, that you had in mind for the story? Was he somebody that Aftershock brought on and how's the collaborative process been? Yeah, I brought Tony in. I knew immediately that's who I wanted to work with. I uh, I've known Tony for a while and we've kind of always been trying to find the right project and fit for the two of us to work on together. And, you know, I, I called him and asked him about his interest level and um, he was pretty sold on it very fast and um, immediately started kind of drawing up some designs for like our nuclear soldiers and uh, what the alternate future reality was going to look like. And it was, it was just perfect. And, um, you know, some of my favorite pages too, are just even the basement in issue one that's filled with like radios um, mm -hmm. that, that Tim is going to like, I mean, the detail in these are just incredible. And as the book goes on, the artwork, I think, gets a little bit darker, kind of like the deeper into this underground bunker area we're getting. And I, I think that was a really subtle but cool thing that Tony is doing. Um, and it's great working with him, you know, after uh, each issue, you know, we talk a little bit about what's going on and um, really the person that's involved in the story uh, as much as I am is, you know, the art artistic team. So being able to talk to someone and call up Tony and ask his opinion on something, especially since he's going to have to draw it is a really nice thing to get to have in a collaborative partner. Yeah. Like I said, I can't imagine anybody else drawing it because it just captures that just the yeah. aesthetic, like, like perfectly. So uh, look forward to, uh, to more to come from, from nuclear family. Like, like Rocky said, I'm very interested in uh, where it's, gonna, where it's going to go. <laughs> Uh, but I, I know I, I can't. I know I know Rocky probably can't wait any longer. I can't make him. Any longer. <laughs> uh, go ahead. I know you have questions about Harley Quinn, Rocky. So let her rip. Well, I, I guess the first. Uh, I, I guess one of the things I, that uh, I'm really surprised. I'm going to start off by saying I'm absolutely stunned. I had no idea that you wrote an issue of Rick and Marty. <laughs> and yeah, that, that blows me away because and and it's so fitting because one of the things that. 
you, you seem to wear many hats. You're actually you're actually funny. And that, that's refreshing because you're writing Harley. And it's one of the things that really stood out for me in, in issue one of Harley is that it, it was actually funny. And, and I don't mean this to detract from many previous writers on Harley, but after a while, as much as I love the previous writers and because I'm a huge Harley fan, you know, I think, you know, sometimes get a little stale and what have you. And, and, and your humor is really shines through. And so I guess my, my, my first question is, is with respect to Harley itself, when you think of Harley Quinn, you sit down and you're writing a scene for Harley. I mean, do you, is there a particular person you image? Is there like a certain mental illness you imagine or a crazy <laughs> psychotic person or just a misunderstood right. woman? Explain to me who Harley, your Harley Quinn is. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Harley is to me, uh, someone that has been through so much that you're getting this person that I think is actually way more relatable than she's ever been. Like we've watched this person fail so many times and come back and try something new. And I just, I don't know what's more relatable than that. Like, uh, you know, Batman has this one horrible day early on and he rises as Batman. And yeah, there's like trials to get there, but he's been on this path. Harley's has meandered like nobody's business. Like there's not even just like, you know, uh, she didn't just come to like two paths in the woods and choose one kind of thing. Like there's like a million for her. And I think that's the most fun. And you also get to see someone who very realistically is trying and probably still going to fail every once in a while. And that's, I, I don't know what's more human than that. And I think that makes Harley both one of the smartest, most relatable and earnest characters in the DC universe while also just being really, really freaking funny. And that's kind of cool about her. She's witty. Um, she's got a lot of tools in her toolbox along with you know her degrees. Uh, she can use that humor to really disarm people. And even though Hugo knows who she is and knows that humor is coming, Harley is still so smart with her delivery that it's still going to really get under Hugo's skin in a way that hopefully we haven't seen before. Um, but I think that's just cool about her, where she can still try to move forward as a character and every once in a while have back steps. And we can love her more for that because it's something where it's like, yeah, you, sometimes you can try your best and still fail. And Harley needs to learn that. And I think we all need to see it in our characters. And uh, that's what makes, I think, writing her so fun and rewarding because that's something that I, I really just wanted to see in Harley and in her journey bringing in someone like Kevin who kind of helps mirror that he's going through his own journey, but also just getting to have this really platonic, healthy relationship with someone where the two of them are not looking for something from each other, but ultimately are kind of on their own paths that in this moment get to support somebody. And I think that's really cool too. I, I personally think she was railroaded. Uh, Batman picked the wrong time to go broke because I think she had a legitimate <laughs> point that she needs some toys. Right. She's probably yeah. the first sidekick or quasi sidekick of Batman that hasn't had the benefit of a single bat yeah. bat gadget. And that's just plain wrong. But yeah. I, I like the way that it puts the reliance on Harley and it makes her, her struggle uh, that much more apparent. I'm going to put you on the spot here because you've also written Wonder Woman. You're a Mai Tai fighter. Uh, you're funny. You're good natured. So Wonder Woman's known as the peaceful warrior. Harley is kind of like the lovable psychotic. My question to you is, who is the first lady of comics if, if for DC? Is it Harley Quinn or Wonder Woman and why? Interestingly, I think 
in comics, it would be Harley, but in the larger world, it would be Wonder Woman. Like, I just think Wonder Woman is so identifiable as a symbol beyond the comic book. But I think a lot of those people, and, and when I used to teach, I would sometimes ask my students this, like, you know, ask them to identify different superhero symbols. Like, everybody knows Superman's logo, but then you ask them how many have read a Superman comic, and it's like, maybe one out of 30 if you're lucky and the same goes for Wonder Woman like you know you will often see you know in a room full of my 30 something students there would be a ton of kids with Wonder Woman and Superman stuff but then you ask if they've read a comic and you know that's no shade on them I'm very glad that they're still investing in other forms of media for those characters um, but I think those two figures are just so identifiable Harley doesn't have the same maybe popular out of comic street cred but when it comes to comics uh one thing i've learned very quickly is the following for the harley quinn comics it's massive and they're awesome like they've got this very tight-knit community and they are behind harley quinn and that's that's really cool to see and kind of get to enter into um i'm not sure that i got that same feeling from writing wonder woman comic but you know the difference could also be that i'm on an ongoing for harley versus the the kind of one shot that we did for wonder woman so um you know from my limited experience and time with harley so far <laughs> i i think that that's maybe the best answer i can i can give for that Can i, I just want to one one quick question uh, uh, before jace uh, forces me to <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. i just you, you tease in batman urban legends that yeah. uh, obviously ivy you know poison ivy is back uh, can we expect without giving away any spoilers? I don't I can't expect that. But uh, can we expect we're, we're two issues into Harley with no Ivy yet. Can we expect can you is it the next issue or uh, what What can we look forward to in that? And uh, what can you tell us? What can you tease to us? Yeah, uh, definitely. Ivy is a part of a lot of what's going on in Gotham. I think we've already seen her kind of teased a bit in Catwoman for anyone that's reading the Catwoman line. Um, so throughout Gotham, you will kind of start to see these, um, we'll use a pun, seeds kind of planted for a potential return. And, um, you know, I guess I can say that I I don't think readers are going to be able to anticipate how that's going to happen. Uh, but very much in our story, our Harley is devoted to Ivy. Uh, that is, you know, whether she's in the room or not, that's who our Harley is at any given moment. She will reference it. It does come up quite a bit. And then, you know, hopefully building to to that moment that I think will be pretty cool. Yeah, and I actually do, I, I actually do have a, a Harley question as well. Before we yeah. move on, I want to talk about uh, another historical book, A uh, Man Among Ye. But I, I really agree with Rocky that I think you're the perfect person to be writing this. You're so varied and diverse in, in your background and your experiences and even your writing experiences. And Harley, we've really seen, you know, ever since Jimmy and Amanda took her over and took her out of Gotham and started building her up, her become a very diverse character as well. And, you know, you yourself mentioning uh, her level of intelligence. I, I, I'm starting to get the feeling, and I never felt like this previously, because Harley always just felt like this goofy, psychotic to me. Um, but now I get the sense that a lot of times she's the smartest person in the room. Uh, and that's just cool because the goofy psychotic doesn't interest me that much. But Harley as the smartest person in the room does interest me very much. But to your point about her having been through so much, I think Harley maybe could be considered the most complicated character in the DC universe because she does have so many different sides to her and everything that she's been with. So do you ever feel like it's a real challenge to get her right? Or do you feel like there's something about her that just clicks for you, Stephanie? 
I would say definitely it clicks. I have, I have the easiest time writing a Harley Quinn script out of almost anything I write, especially her dialogue. It really feels, um, it just feels really natural. So, uh, you know, whether that's a good thing to admit for me or not, like, <laughs> um, I, I really, uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of empathy between myself and the character. And um, that's something that I really like being able to put in her. Um, and, you know, I think uh, the humor, uh, when it's positioned in such a way that, you know, Harley is being really witty and smart with it, humor is really hard. <laughs> like getting those ti the timing right um, or being like a stand-up comic. I could not Im imagine doing something like that, like writing just jokes for a living. It's really difficult. Um, and I think that's what makes Harley interesting with the jokes is that, yeah, she's going to still joke with you, but her jokes are going to be very pointed and there's they're going to be pretty purposeful. And um, I mean, I think some of that is, is the hardest thing to write and not every joke is going to land. Um, but you know, that's part of Harley too, is just like, she's smart enough to use her humor as a weapon. And I think that's a really cool aspect to the character. Well, like you said, uh, we know she has a really passionate fan base and I, I hope they're all <laughs> uh, appreciating uh, how much you're injecting the, not only the, the humor, uh, but that level of intelligence that I mentioned, because like I said, for me, that's pulling me in. I've never been a big Harley fan before, but but that's pulling me in. So I, I hope those that are longtime fans aren't saying, wait, I'm she's got to be wacky. She could be wacky and smart. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, I mentioned a, a Man Among Ye from from Top Cow, you know, another a book sort of uh, rooted in, in you know, real historical fact about these uh, female pirates. And I think a lot of not not a lot of people know about. Uh, and Bonnie and, and uh, Mary, uh, is it Reddy? Reed. Mary Reed. Um, and just recently announced with Top Cow that we're going to get a, a second volume. So uh, what can you tell us? Yeah, I'm excited about that. You know, there's enough demand for a female pirate book, which uh, I, I got to be honest, I didn't anticipate. So having so many people kind of back that to where we're getting a second volume is, is really cool. Um, we're, I think, putting out a press release later in the month with like more details, but it will be coming back in July um, with a new interior artist, Josh George, um, colorist John Kalish, and um, Craig Cermak will be doing covers for it as well. So it's going to be pretty cool kind of picking up where we left off in issue four with, uh, you know, a lot of chaos and now even more people than ever kind of after our uh, four main characters. So it's going to be kind of, I think, fun to see them navigate basically anywhere they go. Somebody wants to either kill them, kidnap them, whatever it is. So um, them having no real safe place and how they navigate that is going to be, I think, really fun. So I take it uh, you're, you're you're bothering your 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 father for all those pirate history books. Is that what you've been doing? <laughs> yeah, you know that's a that's a blind spot in in his collection for sure. Uh, but being from Tampa, like pirate lore is just everywhere. Like it's it's funny to think like I grew up around the corner from just a replica pirate ship. Like it's just docked there twenty four seven, and it's like everybody just knows like there's that's the pirate ship and you know I've brought people to Tampa that have never been before and it's just like it's one of those things that disappears because it's a part of your daily life and then immediately this person next to you will be like what the hell is that it's like <laughs> what do you you don't have a pirate ship that's our pirate ship <laughs> it's just there um so I mean that's pretty cool growing up and and you know one thing that really got me interested in Tampa particular is I think I hit grad school I took a class on just Tampa history and I got really invested in like 
the history of the city I live in, which is really unique for, you know, this kind of like port city. Um, and a lot of the pirate history that I grew up with learning later on that, like, it was all a lie. <laughs> it's like, wait, that's not fair. So, um, you know, we have something called Gasparilla, which is a giant pirate festival. And it's based on a pirate named Jose Gaspar. And we grew up being told that this was like a real pirate. He wasn't a real pirate. Apparently it was like a made up story because people wanted to have a parade. So, I mean, that's cool, I guess. <laughs> um, but there are uh, cemeteries in Tampa where you can go and find old gravestones. Uh, there, there's one in particular in downtown Tampa where the gravestone is of a, it just says hanged pirate. Um, so that's, you know, very much a part of kind of my background. And it was cool to be able to bring that into the comic world and then have people be also really excited about it. You know, it was something that I knew I liked, but having the readership be like, oh yeah, we, we like this, this is cool. Um, enough to have more issues come out is, is awesome. Yeah, I think there aren't enough pirate comics. I love pirate comics, I love the idea of pirates. I don't know yeah. that much about them, um, but you even got to, to you know pull in an, an, another one of your loves, something you do so well is write strong female characters. So has it been a, a challenge? Because again, I, that part of history, I know uh, a lot of it is, it, you know, you yourself mentioned, it's not always true what you read. So yeah. has it been a challenge to try to find out uh, and, and get real research uh, about not only just these these characters of Anne Bonny and Mary Reed, but just that general uh, history of pirates, what's true, what's not? Yeah, it definitely has been. Uh, so I think one of the decisions we had to make early on was really a blend. So when we can bring in information that's factual, like Woods Rogers was a real person and kind of bringing in some of his motivations and backgrounds, the setting is very much factual, like this kind of undercurrent of uh, we're past the golden age of piracy. And I think a lot of the, the pirate lore that we are given in popular culture is very much like the heyday of pirates. We're at the end of it at with the uh, story that we're telling. And a lot of that is very particularly sculpted around this idea where they were like, we're just so sick of pirates. We will offer like money and land for them to just go be quote unquote respected citizens. And maybe we'll get rid of the pirates that way. Um, so we're kind of seeing Woods Rogers who kind of took the lead on some of this and was a very respected, if that's the right word, pirate hunter, um, kind of in trying to help end this. Like, we're just so done with this. We're ready to do whatever it takes. Um, and we have, you know, Anne and Mary are not ready to give that up. They have found something in piracy that they're like, no amount of gold or, you know, your lies or whatever will make us want to give up the skull and crossbone. Um, so it's about them kind of trying to keep that going. So a lot of that is this very factual component of why people were drawn to piracy and what it did for the people that kind of decided to fly under those flags. But at the same time, we have had to take some creative liberties because there just isn't information out there. Um, and the information that does exist has been proven to be like, I think there's this one recorded note about Mary um, and Anne, and it was pr like proven to be false anyways. Like the person that wrote it was also just writing their own story. So these figures, while there is record that they most likely did exist, any record of them is very suspect. So, right. so I mean, that I mean, that's also kind of cool is getting to just play with like, we're adding to mythology. That's what they are. They're these kind of like larger than life story figures, and we're getting to play with that. And um, yeah, in some ways, I think that's really fun. Yeah, and it's been really great because uh, 
you know, like Rocky said, uh, a lot of, uh, I've, I've heard a lot of people loving this comic and, you know, you hear, okay, it's from Top Cow. Not, not that many people know Top Cow. It's a pirate story. And then it's female pirates on top of that. I was worried it was going to, you know, just come out and go away and that would be it. We'd get a great four issue story. Uh, but the fact that we're getting more, uh, I, I'm just over the moon. Yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah. We've, uh, we've got eight, eight total kind of on the schedule. Um, but we, I mean, so far it's been such a positive reception. We're already talking all the way out to issue 16. So, um, hopefully it's something that we can kind of just keep going. (laughs) I mean, to the point where, you know, we're talking about cool hardcover things. So, I mean, uh, it was really unexpected for the same reason you said, you know, it's something I thought was cool, but the fact that so many other people also felt that way, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I gotta say, the last time I I remember reading and enjoying a, a pirate uh, a pirate comic book was way back in the cross gen days with El Casadora with yeah. I think Steve Epting uh, his art and I, <laughs> right. and I got that vibe when I was when I was uh, reading a man among ye and 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 I have to say I love the name what, oh, a, what a great title what a great title <laughs> because I mean it's it's I mean obviously it's uh, I mean. I mean, you can't get more feminist in in the, in the, the, I guess the, I guess the 15, what is it? The 14th, what century is the pirates in? 15th Yeah, let's see. I just did a caption for it. 15, I can't remember the exact year I put, but I think it was like 15 something. So yeah, it was like Uh, 1590s. No, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I I have, uh, I I, got to sneak in one question here and this is, this is an outlier question, but, um, did you vote in the DC voting uh, choices? Did you contribute to the choices? Um, I let's see. Did I vote? Yes, I did. If if you ask if I remember what I voted for, uh, <laughs> like I know I voted for for Justice League queer, which is out of the running, but I, I know it had such a backing. I'm I'm definitely hoping you know DC takes note and because uh, that that would be really cool. Um, you know, See, I, I was hoping I personally was hoping that because I, I figured that they got creators in the background that have already started on some of this material and we yes. don't know about it. And I'm thinking and hoping maybe you're one of those creators. But yes. you probably could. <laughs> you are? Yes, I well, am. Yeah, also, I you, so you do have some you've got some material. Okay. Yeah, it was yes, announced. I, I maybe I think, missed it yesterday, Rocky. Yeah, it was, it was announced yesterday. Uh, yeah, I've got it here in the little corner. What can you tell us about the Jesse Quick story? Oh. And if you can mention anything about how this whole DC uh, round robin thing was was brought to you, if we don't want to get you in any trouble. No, no, I I was asked if I wanted to participate and if I had kind of an idea of something that I would like. Um, I mean, I think part of the the initiative was also to find some characters that maybe haven't had as much time in the spotlight. And uh, Jessie Quick has never had her own book, which I think is unfortunate. Like she's been... in the Flash series on CW, which is really cool. Um, but I really wanted to see her get her own series. So when that was brought up, I was like, I could absolutely get behind that. And uh, we kind of developed a pitch called Control. Um, so I wanted to analyze kind of Jesse and her powers and what makes her different from the other speedsters. So she has the speed formula, which is a little different from how someone like Wally West or, or 
fairy Allen kind of deal with their powers. And it's about something that's really specific to Jessie, which is how she uses the formula and how maybe she gets a little overambitious with, with her powers trying to stand <laughs> out. Like there are all these speedsters. So she gets a little bit like, well, how can I be different? How can I stand out? And that gets her into a little bit of trouble, uh, maybe a little too much power um, and how she deals with that. And uh, we wanted it to be very focused on Jessie and really exploring things about Jessie that maybe we haven't gotten to explore elsewhere because she really hasn't had her own. Uh, this would be a six, six issue mini. So getting it to be where we're really just doing a deep dive and Jesse is really cool. Um, working with David LaFuente for art on it as you kind of have up on the screen. And David is awesome. We're, we're working on something else as well. So if, if Jesse doesn't come through, you will still get uh, David LaFuente and I on something else. So that'll, that'll be fun. But um, that's so refreshing. That's so yeah. refreshing because if it's one thing that DC has so much of, it's Barry, it's either Barry Allen, yeah. Wally West, Barry, 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 Wally, Wally, Wally. Let's get <laughs> right. some Jesse in there. Let's get a different perspective because I always see Barry and Wally. They're both, I love them both, but they're both so ego, uh, egocentric. You know, I'm the fastest yeah. man alive. I'm, I think we do need some fresh blood in there uh, because I, I do think it's getting, so that's, that's great news. That's great news. Yeah. Got my and vote. I, thanks. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think Jesse is the same kind of ego, like the fastest person alive. Like, and that's kind of the impetus for this, which is like, if you're thrown into a, a situation where all these people around you are like, I'm the fastest, I'm the fastest. Like, how can Jesse be different and distinct? And that's a question that I think we have to ask in the DC universe. And Jesse is kind of asking herself. So um, it's a bit of a meta approach to Jesse, but I, I think it would be really fun to get to write that. And, uh, Obviously, David drawing it is pretty awesome. And so, yeah, I mean, I hope we get the chance. But again, like I said, there are so many cool books on there with characters that also deserve spotlights of their own as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a Blue Beetle book that we're up against. And it's like hard to vote for my own book because I love Blue Beetle. So it's like, <laughs> oh, I want to vote 10 times. <laughs> uh, is is the other project, can you say with, with David, if Jesse Quick doesn't happen or, or maybe if Jesse Cook does you still is is that other project with David at DC as well yes it is okay yep. gotcha. and I think it'll be announced soon um but it's it's kind of a, a one and done thing so yeah we would still be doing Jesse either way gotcha so so interesting because you know we we had you on way back uh with uh Descendants for for Aftershock and then you continue Aftershock and then Top Cow and then we hear Harley and you know now you're doing these other things at DC couldn't be happier for you uh yeah. You know, and the fact that you've written Wonder Woman as well, to Rocky's uh, question earlier, basically the the two big uh, first ladies of, of comics. Uh, do you love the more obscure characters like like Jesse Quick as well? I mean, you, yeah. you're writing these icons, but it seems like you got a lot of love for Jesse. I do. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I really like the, the challenge of getting to take someone that's pretty... Um, I don't mean underdeveloped to sound rude to anyone else that's written her. I know Mark Wade has done some really cool stuff with Jesse Quick, but again, she just hasn't had her own solo series. And to be someone that would get kind of the honor of, of building that out for the first time, I think is really cool. Um, another one that, you know, I hope one day I get to come back to, I really liked writing Ted Grant and have that be the first thing that I did at DC Comics and have it be a character that I just absolutely adore and I don't know too many people that that walk in the room and are like I really like Wildcat <laughs> it's yeah. like that's a <laughs> uh that's an interesting one but I I think there's so much to be done with someone like like Ted Grant and um 
yeah, I, I think that would be really cool. I'm, I'm doing a couple other things at DC that haven't been announced yet. One that I think is a maybe not as popular character and one that's a super popular character. And it, it is, I think, a little harder to write someone that has so many stories about them because you go back and you're like, all right, I'm going to go read you know, when I was writing Wonder Woman, go read a bunch of Wonder Woman, things that I really love. And then you start finding overlap to like ideas you had. And I, I mean, at some point, all of that's going to happen. When I wrote Batman for Legends of the Dark Knight, I'm really building off of, for the story that I did with Max Dunbar, um, go figure Gotham history, where I'm kind of like starting to invent some of the history of Gotham, which I think Scott Snyder did a lot of really cool stuff with that when he was working with Greg Capullo and um, kind of getting to build off of Scott Snyder's version of like old Gotham and build in a, a kind of a new story um, to that is really cool. But yeah, when you have so much history for Batman and Wonder Woman, it's uh, I think about trying to find an approach that I really like, like for Wonder Woman, uh, I love her, but sometimes I just want to see what happens when you make her fail. Like, how is she going to respond to like a really horrible situation and kind of watch what she does? And I think that's interesting. Whereas someone like Ted Grant, there's so much more ground to build up underneath him because him or Jesse maybe haven't been used as much. Well, the other thing that I, I love about you is how passionate you are for these characters and these stories. And, you know, sometimes we hear, okay, well, when people do creator owned or it's their own kind of property, they get more excited and, and they're having fun and it comes across on the page. But if they're doing work uh, that's work for hire, it's not so much the case. Uh, I get the sense that no matter what story you're writing, no matter what character, you're having so much fun and that passion comes across for us uh, yeah. as the re readers. So uh, do you have a preference? Um, no, I, I don't think I do. You know, I like going back and forth and, uh, I mean, I guess because it's a little newer when somebody hands you Batman and you're like the little kid that never took off a Batman costume for like five straight years of their life. Like that's freaking cool. Like every year since I was four, my mom has given me a Batman birthday cake. Like it does not matter <laughs> the age that has been every year of my life. And, you know, to, to finally get to like write Batman or you know like I mentioned Oliver Queen is one of my favorites and uh I, I got some Oliver Queen pages the other day and I was just like cool <laughs> like that's a thing that I'm involved in and that's super cool um so I I don't know like you know having worked a lot of other jobs in my life from making subs to teaching college classes like this is the coolest thing in the world to me and I don't want to do anything else. So I'm, I'm pretty pleased with any of it. Whenever anyone's like, Hey, you get to make a comic book and we're going to pay you. Like that's wild to me that somebody paid me to write Batman. So <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty happy with anything that, you know, uh, the fact that people keep letting me tell stories is pretty cool. Well, uh, you know, congratulations on your success, Stephanie, because it's all yeah. very well-deserved. Absolutely. You know, as, as a fan, you know, like I said, having you on with one of your early series to see this meteoric rise, it's happened, it feels <laughs> like overnight. Uh, but I know yeah. it doesn't happen overnight and you've been putting in work for, you know, far longer than, than I've known you. And, and, you know, you were writing stories before you ever first came on the show. So it's great to see all that uh, hard work paying off. Um, is there anything else that you can tease that's coming up that you're working on, whether it be, you know, Aftershock, Top Cow, uh, you have other things um, in development, I'm sure. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I'm trying to think about, I think the, the main things that have been announced recently, uh, Legends of the Dark Knight, uh, the issue that I did with Max Dunbar will come out digitally, I think in May. So next month we'll get the, there's two digital issues and then it will be printed, I think August. I, I could be off on the dates a little bit, but um, that one's coming up. Um, I've got some more sensational Wonder Woman coming up as well. So I think that will be coming out over the summer. So um, yeah, just some cool stuff I get to kind of announce along the way. Great, keeping busy. Uh, Rocky, anything else you wanna uh, ask Stephanie before we uh, let her get back to work? Yeah, just one thing, <laughs> uh, Rick and Marty. Uh, how, uh, how did you, uh, I'm just curious how you, how you did, are you just doing one issue for that? Or are you doing yeah. more than that? Or is that just the one shot? I just did the one shot, uh, with Ryan Lee and man, was that fun. <laughs> I actually, I have a page from it on my wall, um, that I get to look at every day now, uh, that, that Ryan gifted to me when we finished it. And, uh, yeah, that was fun. I mean, I like Rick and Morty. I think I like writing Rick and Morty more than I like watching it now. Like it was just such a cool thing to get to, to get to write them and, uh, you know, getting to call my mom and be like, yeah, I'm writing hemorrhage. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> always uh, a great thing so uh one of the things i was happy about is we put death stalkers on the cover instead of like a logo logo for hemorrhage because i think for a while we were like not sure which one we were gonna put and i was like let's not put hemorrhage on the cover book. <laughs> i mean i'm usually i'd be for it but you know my mom likes to likes to show people my work so i figured <laughs> keeping my mom in mind for that one <laughs> awesome. that's great I'm, it's fantastic well, thank you. I, I, I'm so I'm 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 awestruck here. You're you're my uh, my 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 celebrity. I'm so glad Chase let me uh, participate in this. <laughs> well, thanks. I'm glad too. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it. Uh, we don't want to keep you. I'm sure you have deadlines looming as uh, as always. But uh, as we're finishing up here, Stephanie, I'll give you an opportunity. Anything that you want to say to the listeners, and then why don't you let everybody know uh, where they can find you online. Yeah, uh, you can find me at Steph underscore smash on Twitter. And that's about the only social media I use with any regularity. Um, and yeah, I just want to thank everyone for reading Harley and, you know, supporting all these awesome books I get to make. It's it's a lot of fun. Great. And uh, for, from Rocky and I, everybody, thanks for listening. As always, we, uh, we really appreciate the support and we will talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes, as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.